Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, guest host Dr. Douglas Ray talks with Dr. Stella Lee about her recent article, Omalizumab and Quality of Life in Nasal Polyps, a post hoc analysis. Welcome to this edition of Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your guest host for this episode, Dr. Doug Ray from Baltimore, Maryland. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Stella Lee. Dr. Lee is the director of the Brigham Sinus Center at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be discussing her recent publication, Omalizumab and Quality of Life in Nasal Polyps, a post hoc analysis that was first published in the September 2022 issue of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I have to say before we get started that uh, I had the privilege to be one of Dr. Lee's fellowship co-directors during her time at Johns Hopkins and participate in her training. She was a fantastic fellow, and I've watched her career with a lot of pride. And this paper is just one of many of the great things that Stella has produced and published during her already very successful academic career. So welcome, Stella. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for that introduction. And I just have really fond memories of uh, my training at Johns Hopkins, and your uh, mentorship has been really critical to my ability to do all these um, really interesting things. So I really appreciate your um, mentorship and your um, training and the experience that we had at, at Hopkins, really invaluable. Well, thank you. It was an honor and a privilege. So how are things in Boston? Now, you've been there for a couple of years now, right? Uh, a little over a year, actually. So I was at U- University of Pittsburgh Medical Center for about 10 years, and then I just moved to Boston last year. So it's been a whirlwind of change, but in a way, you know, it's 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 good. It's been a really good um, transition, and I'm really excited to continue a lot of the research that we started at uh, UPMC. Great. So I'm going to give a little bit of background, and then we'll kind of dive into your paper. Um, Great. So biologics, as as we all know, have significantly changed the game in the treatment of chronic sinusitis. And these new monoclonal antibodies have been shown in multiple prospective randomized trials to improve outcomes in chronic sinusitis. So these trials have looked at various outcomes, such as changes in objective findings, such as polyp severity scores, sinus CT scan scores, such as the Lund-Mackay. We know that health-related quality of life changes are perhaps the most important outcomes in the treatment of chronic sinusitis because that really is the primary impact of the disease. So omalizumab is a monoclonal antibody which blocks IgE receptors, and it's historically predominantly been used in the treatment for allergic asthma, and it's also indicated for the treatment of spontaneous urticaria. So omalizumab has also been shown in prior studies to be safe and effective in the treatment of chronic sinusitis. And there's been two prior phase three randomized trials, placebo-controlled trials, uh, that have looked at the effect of this drug in patients with chronic sinusitis with nasal polyps. And those trials were the polyp one and polyp two studies. So your study is a pooled analysis of these two trials to look at specifically health-related quality of life outcomes in patients treated with omalizumab as compared to placebo. So my first question, Stella, is how did you get interested in this topic? What, What prompted the idea for this paper? Yes. So it's really been a wave, right, uh, Doug? All of these biologic therapies have entered our sphere and and we're really trying to figure out, you know, what do they do and how do they impact our patients and which ones are potentially better for what particular patient and what 
particular scenario. And so the idea for this paper was looking at really, as you mentioned, health-related quality of life. And it's great with these new biologics that now we are have been dissecting SNOT22, I, I, it seems like, in multiple ways. Uh, SNOT22 obviously is not the only uh, patient-reported outcome measure out there, but it has been one of the most widely used, especially for all of these clinical trials that have been done more recently. And so what we wanted to do was do a post-hoc analysis of some of these SNOT22 data, especially looking at subdomains. So if you look at you know those 22 questions, some are very specific to nasal symptoms, some are very specific to perhaps otologic or sleep uh, impact or emotional impact. So we wanted to understand how this particular biologic would impact those particular subdomains, obviously also looking at other matched uh, total nasal symptom scores, and then determine if there was a difference uh, compared to placebo. Yeah, and I've I've looked at the polyp one and polyp two studies. So what you're doing is parsing that out because they they in their publications they didn't really focus on those things. Exactly, and I think the subdomain analysis is becoming more valuable and also gives us more insight into the patient symptomatology overall and and perhaps you know even looking at SNOT twenty two response signatures. Like for example, if a patient has smell loss but and and they have nasal congestion and they don't have facial pain maybe that might might indicate a particular disease process compared to someone who has just facial pressure and no smell loss right so i think it's really interesting looking at the subdomains and maybe even the response signatures of different patients because in general these patient reported outcome measures are not perfect but it would be nice to to understand how we can better use these PROMs to direct our therapeutic decisions, but also follow these patients over time and understand our patients over time, right? Right. And that may also help us to break out which biologic we should use for which patient. Potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Then we can determine which symptoms are most important to patients. And and as we know, you know, with Patients with CRS with nasal polyps, nasal obstruction obviously is up there, but smell loss is a huge one. And so how can we better understand that and how it impacts our patients' quality of life? Right. And we know that really with chronic sinusitis, with or without polyps, there's so many different quality of life domains that are impacted. And there's so many new studies about its impact on sleep and and, right? and right. asthma and all the other things that are outside those those sort of main symptoms that we think about with this disease. Yes, absolutely. So, so tell us just briefly uh, a little bit about the methodology of your paper. The methodology involves looking at the polyp one and polyp two populations. So there were 138 patients in the polyp one group and about 127 patients in the polyp two group. And these were duplicate studies. And so if you combine these patients and then you look post-talk at their SNOT22 scores, but also then what was done was looking at the nasal, uh, the subdomains, including domains of nasal symptoms, the otologic and facial pain subdomain, the sleep impact subdomain, uh, as well as the emotional psychological impact subdomain. 
And the patients also reported using an e-diary. So they had something, a little device at home where they could report um, what their symptoms were over seven days for about a week for how they were doing with sense of smell, their congestion, their drain, their rhinorrhea. Then we adjusted um, some of the results um, and the data uh, based on the geographic area, whether the patient had asthma or aspirin sensitivity, and then using some complex statistical analysis, which uh, we obtained some expertise for, we then were able to determine how each of these subdomains and um, these nasal symptom scores um, correlated over time for patients who are treated with omalizumab compared to placebo. In reading the paper, I also saw that you did something that the first papers didn't do, which is you looked at MCID or the minimal uh, clinically important difference, which is always important to do when you're talking about quality of life. Yeah, I think um, for any um, validated symptom survey, it's so important to to understand what that MCID number is. And even for my residents and fellows and trainees, uh, I try to ensure that we really discuss the importance of PROMS, but then um, in more detail, you know, how do we really look at the scores and understand it and know what's potentially a real difference versus not, right? Exactly. Like, what is the patient going to notice? So, um, so Stella, just give us a sort of a 30,000 foot um, view, to summarize your results and just give us sort of the, the overview of what you want the reader to take away from your study. Sure. Uh, so it appears that omalizumab treatment in compared to patients who did not obtain treatment, these are patients with severe CRS with nasal polyposis, that they had significant improvement in their nasal symptoms and their sleep impact. Interestingly, those were the ones that had the higher impact um, compared to the other subdomains. And uh, it appears that um, when you look at that subdomain analysis, that you can really see that difference. And across the board, it seemed that uh, treatment with omalizumab did help these patients in all of those subdomains um, in their quality of life. So this was, this. I think this was helpful to really dissect out in what areas this biologic was helping patients and which areas were most impacted and how um, treatment really could make a difference in our patient population, especially with this severe group. So Stella, are you, are you, after completing this study, is there any other sort of work that you're doing in this area or other new projects that you've been thinking about? We've been very busy looking at not only these kinds of questions about the patient-reported outcome measures, but now with the biologics, I think the next steps are, and the questions that come up is how do we determine where biologics fit into our treatment algorithms for patients with CRS with nasal polyps and potentially in the future CRS without nasal polyps too. But um, the work that we're doing now is focused on endotyping, which means understanding the underlying mechanisms, inflammatory mechanisms that drive inflammation in our patients. And imagine uh, in the future, you know, we currently have all these tools for understanding uh, patients with allergic rhinitis by doing allergy testing or skin testing and 
we have pheno for, you know, exhaled nitric oxide for patients with asthma, but is there a way that we can develop a true biomarker that can help us understand our patients better and then determine which medications might work particularly better for some patients or which patients might be refractory and, and may need surgery? Uh, so those are the big questions that we're really trying to answer. And we're still not there yet. It seems like these all of these biologics that have come onto the market have given us a lot of options and options for the patients too. But the tricky part is how do you select the best medication for that patient in the bigger context of all the other things that have come um, into our field, which is great because rhinology, you know, you know, this is why we're both in the field is it's just really embraced uh, technology and has been really forward thinking about uh, different therapeutic models and devices and um, so many other things that we can just imagine, right, that can help our patients do better. That's excellent, Stella, because this type of work is so important as we as rhinologists sort of struggle with finding the best therapy for our patients and especially for those challenging refractory patients, knowing how to proceed, having sort of a game plan for them and understanding their disease uh, better so that we can treat them better. And going along with that, I'll just say in in, in, in my experience, in my uh, rhinology practice, and I think in a lot, the other biologics such as dupixumab or mepiluzumab, nucala, I, I find that I use those biologics more commonly for my polyp patients than I do uh, omelizumab. And, and so I wanted to ask you a question that sort of goes along with what you were just talking about, endotypus and understanding how these biologics work in chronic sinusitis is we know that 50% of patients with chronic sinusitis with nasal polyps are atopic. They don't have allergy. And so um, omelizumab historically is designed to treat allergic responses such as allergy-induced asthma and urticaria. Why do you think it works in the treatment of patients with chronic sinusitis with nasal polyps? Yeah, great question. I, I think we're still trying to figure that out for all of the biologics, actually. Um, but I think we have some clues. We know that IgE, IL-5, IL-4, IL-13 all play a really important role. Um, and now we're thinking even other um, mediators such as TSLP or IL-33 and so on and so forth, right? Uh, we're realizing how complex maybe the immunologic dysfunction can be, and it might be an immunologic like fingerprint for each patient. And it, we talk about type two, right? Like type two is maybe increased eosinophils in the tissue and the blood and, and then increased um, mast cell activation and increased IgE in the serum. The real question is, you know, I, 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 we learn a lot from the asthma world and, you know, they've done a great job uh, really uh, endotyping their patients. But from a CRS perspective, I, it's a different disease. You know, I thought the upper and lower airways would respond very similarly to biologic therapy. And we know that's not the case. Uh, in some ways they do, but there's so many differences, right? That's very interesting why they work. We know that there is a type two signature in a lot of our patients with nasal polyps. We know that, especially in the Western world, and even in Asia, it's it's increasing, um, you know, over 80% of patients with CRS with nasal polyps have that type two-ish signature. But the reason why I say type two-ish is because I think it's more complicated than that. I think uh, 
you know, there's patients who have a mixed endotype, right? It might be a ratio of type one and two or two and three or untypable. And uh, there are different inflammatory signatures that associate with each one. Perhaps also with even looking at the patient report outcome measures, there might be a specific signature in those proms too, right? So I think for now, it's it's very complex, but how to distill this down. So what my philosophy is and how I approach my patients is we want to look at the whole patient, the disease biology aspect of it. So we don't have a like a single biomarker, right? But maybe we can use different aspects of the patient's overall disease, such as we can get a CVC with differential, we can get an eosinophil count, perhaps we can even get tissue eosinophilia if you have a really nice pathologist who can help you out. I'm still working on that. Um, and or you can, you know, and or IgE, serum, serum IgE, as well as serum specific IgE to see if uh, patients have a really um, perhaps a comorbid allergic rhinitis, uh, as well as then looking at comorbidities like you know, allergic rhinitis, but also asthma or AERD. So I think looking at the entire picture, and we have some of these tests that are available to us. Uh, one thing that I think is might be really helpful in the future for otolaryngologists is, is exhaled nitric oxide. Um, Doug, have you ever tried using one? Or I'm curious if you guys use that in your offices at all. So we do. We have an uh, we have oh, an allergist. Awesome. We have an allergist. Um, and so for our patients with asthma or any type of allergic suspicion of allergic disease, they do um, uh, exhaled nitric oxygen and um, PFTs. We do that in our office. Yes. So we do. Yes. So we do get that reading. So I wonder if you know we've published a couple of um, papers on this. It's still very pilot and preliminary, but. You know, pheno I think can be helpful to differentiate some of these patients because you do obviously don't want to treat a patient who is not type two with the biologic therapy that's targeting type two inflammation. And pheno is a is really quick and easy, at least for an otolaryngologist like myself. That that you know, PFTs I do know how to do it, but it is a bit cumbersome and difficult to do if in the ENT office. But pheno is quick and easy, and then if once you get that number, you can tell you know, if there is maybe some kind of eosinophilic signature or, you know, activity of IL-13, which might give you clues on whether this patient is driven by more of a type two process. Yeah, that's, that's such a great discussion, Stella. So I know we're sort of coming up on time, but I wanted to ask you real quick, just to summarize it, a patient with polyps, chronic sinusitis comes into your office uh, and you're thinking about biologics for them. You, you've got the sort of the options that we talked about. How do you decide what you're going to do? Like what, what biologics <laughs> are you going to use? That's a very difficult question. Uh, yeah. So in, in practice, I do get those uh, blood tests because I really want to understand my patient, whether that patient is giving me uh, clues about a type two signature um, I also want to understand the comorbidities because we know that if patients have AERD, uh, asthma, allergic rhinitis, specifically AERD though, that's a huge driver. You know, we know that that might be even a separate endotype perhaps that um, these patients are more severe. So surgery is also on the table, you know, and or observation. Uh, I really have a frank conversation with the patient about all the options available. And, and as we know, you know, we don't have much time in the office to talk about 
let alone, you know, surgery. And now all these biologics, how do we, you know, explain the immunology and then, and then go through all, each one. It is. Um, it's overwhelming. Yeah, Maybe a separate right? visit, a biologic visit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and what I would encourage um, to folks out there listening is, is, you know, we're not just in this with by ourselves. And and I, I loved how you said, you know, you have someone that you work with in your clinic, even, which is amazing, a multidisciplinary approach. So, you know, we have our allergists and immunologists who who have so much experience prescribing these medications compared to us. You know, just 2019 was when the first biologic was approved for a CRS. So, um, yeah, they have much more experience. And then, you know, talking before making a dis, I don't make the decision unilaterally. Obviously, it's a decision with the patient. Um, looking at their comorbidities, talking to the allergy immunology colleague about that particular patient. And then determining a choice of um, which one might be better based on their uh, inflammatory signature, their comorbidities, and their desires. Because some biologics you have to give every two weeks, some biologics you can get every, every eight weeks, some biologics um, not approved for polyps yet, but as we know with like reslizumab, weight based. And um, so dosing might be an issue too. So there's a lot of, you know, considerations. And that's why I think as an, as an otolaryngologist, I, I, it's, it's so important to learn from our colleagues and who have a lot of experience with these things. And, and then um, the patient's preference is super important because we know knowing our patient is, is, is critical. You know, our patients who, you know, we know that if they hate getting shots. I, I don't think a biologic might be a great option for them because, <laughs> exactly. you know, like I've had patients come to my office with their um, syringe and say, Dr. Lee, can you give me my biologic treatment? I'm like, well, I can't do this for you every two weeks. It's probably not a great use of your time. And so there's a lot of coaching too, but then there's some patients who know that they will tell you, you know, I do not want to rinse. I will not rinse. I will not do <laughs> the topical steroids. Give me lots of side effects no matter how much you coach them on how to do it properly, you know, they're not going to, and then, you know, with surgery, you, the, the most, I think just as equally important as doing a, like a perfect meticulous surgery, which you helped, you know, teach me how to do when I was a fellow, you know, that's only one part of the solution. The other part is the patient doing their therapy at home, right? Their rinses and topical medication. So yeah, it's it's really understanding the patient's preferences, understanding what they will do uh, realistically, adherence, um, their overall type two signature, and uh, discussion with uh, allergy immunology. Hopefully, I've not made this even more complicated than no. I think <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's wonderful. I think the bottom line is it has to be a patient centered approach, and you have to use a multidisciplinary approach. Yes. Have an Thank you for summarizing that. Yeah, well, I appreciate yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Have an allergist immunologist that you trust that you can learn mm -hmm. from and work with and, and sort of come up with a tailored approach for each patient. But yes, the, the yes. bottom line is the good news is that we have a lot more available to us now to treat these challenging patients than we did when I was out of fellowship. Uh, oh, so. yeah. Yes, yes. A lot of different Fighting. options and different targets. And we still need to understand why they work and how they work and which patients are best candidates for each particular modality, perhaps, or a combination of modalities, right? Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see your future work in this area, Stella. This has been a great discussion. So thanks so yeah, thanks, much. For joining. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me on an uh, for an early Friday morning chat. I, I hope the weather isn't too cold up in Boston and you have a great weekend, but this has been a great discussion um, on an important topic. And uh, again, congratulations to you and your collaborators on an excellent publication. 
And also thank you to our Scope It Out listeners. Uh, this is Doug Ray for Scope It Out, the official podcast for the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. Signing off for now. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Scope It Out is a co-production of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology and Wiley. All opinions in this podcast are those of podcast hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors. 